Good afternoon or good day, everyone. Welcome to What's the Plan podcast. Now in podcast form, you can go to whatstheplanmonterey.com and download all of our episodes and encourage all your friends to listen on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm here today with Mr. Dan Miller and Mark Carbonero, as always, to discuss all things Monterey County, possibly Santa Cruz County, maybe San Benito, if we're really feeling spicy today. But uh, overall, how, how are you guys doing today? Everything's peachy. Everything. And Mark, uh, just wonderful. Just wonderful. I am, of course, I, I, you know, we had to, we're having to restart the program, but I'm in the land of the rising sun, Japan today, and uh, just loving it over here. If, uh, you know, if you get the chance to visit and you can, you make the the twelve hour flight, which is kind of brutal. Mm. Um, would would highly encourage it. There's a new um, airline called Zip Air. It's a very mm. small Japanese airline. Great service though, and inexpensive tickets from San Jose and San Francisco. Come to mm-hmm. Tokyo or Yokohama. Enjoy, yeah. enjoy the beautiful offerings of the Japanese culture, their food, uh, everything. It's great over here. Yeah. The only problem is it's a giant zip line from San Francisco to Tokyo. <laughs> well, hence the name. But, you know, you can sleep on the zip line. It's awesome. <laughs> and you go through Alaska. That's one thing it always amazes me when you go from uh, San Francisco to uh, to uh, Tokyo. You fly over the Aleutian Islands, which is uh, is unusual. So, but... But anyway, uh, besides Japan, I could I could go on and on uh, for hours about Japan. But uh, let's talk a little bit Monterey um, or Monterey County. Um, a couple topics. I think the the one of the more maybe the more we'll go from Monterey County on down is the uh, Monterey County Airport is supposed to get twenty five million dollars. This has been in the works for a while, I think, and we've talked about it before on the program. But I think they're going to get a new terminal, and it's going to be built over there kind of just to the right of the existing terminal by where I, get, I think the long-term parking somewhere in that area. Mm. And, uh, and they're going to get rid of the, or I think they're going to move all the, uh, the, the flying um, schools and stuff over to the other side of the airport. But uh, do you guys have anything new on that or other than what was published in the pine cone? I, I've got nothing. <laughs> you, no, I, you know, I just find it interesting that uh, an airport, whenever I've been there, there's never a problem with anything. There's, you know, with checking in, with parking, with anything. And they obviously serve a limited amount of people outside of, you know, the, when there's a big event here, like the concourse or whatever. And so it just amazes me this need to expand, you know, and just. And in this day and age, we just go, ah, yeah, they got $25 million. Like, you know, it's like, oh, let me take pull out my billfold and give you my spare change here, and you can expand the the uh, airport. So, you know, that's the negative Dan uh, curmudgeon thing that I everybody yeah. loves me uh, putting in here. But, I, you know, it's wonderful that we get it, but it's still our tax money, and this is why we're $23 trillion in debt. So, well, there you know. I, I, but I, it's good for uh, the city of Monterey and and uh, Carmel and Pacific Grove because it will offer more tourists from more destinations. Because now we have like Phoenix, Dallas, uh, Denver, Seattle, and and da- you know some other places. So people, if they want to come to Monterey, it, it offers more to that. And I think that's really what we're looking. The business community is looking to provide more tourism and expansion. So maybe you can. Well, how many times have we gotten new? How many times have we got new airlines servicing Monterey that do it for a while then disappear? That over the years has happened a lot of times. They say, oh, this just isn't making us enough money. And we're going, it's like if you wanted to fly direct to Vegas, you have an airline that goes direct to day, uh, Vegas and you got to leave on, I think it's Monday and return on Thursday. You know, That's, they don't fly in. Well, I think you can leave on. Time. I think you leave on Thursday and come on Monday too. I think you can do the opposite of that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. sure. Well, so, you know what? You know what's interesting it. about this, Dan. You know what's interesting about airlines, Dan. And I, this uh, we're going a little off topic, but what the hell is? I I read or listened to a podcast. I can't remember what it was about how easy it is to start airlines. So suppose you had ten million dollars, right? And you wanted to start. I don't know if ten million would be enough. Maybe twenty million, but a, a, you know, an average wealthy dude. So there, there are lots of people in America with twenty and thirty million dollars. To start an airline is not really that difficult because you can contract with scheduling companies. You can contract. You can lease the air uh, the airplane, and all you then all you have to do is hire basically pilots and uh, flight attendants, and then you pay the airport, the municipal airport, to dock there, and then so you have to have an agreement with at least two airports and lease a plane and, and hire a few people and then have a website 
with, you know, and you could even hire someone to do the IT for the scheduling. And so it becomes a logistical matter. And if you have enough, like, you know, 10 or $20 million, you could, you could kind of start a very, very small version of Allegiant, you know, some really regional air, uh, airline, you know, that just did service from Milwaukee to Seattle or something. You know, if you found a need for a Milwaukee to Seattle and you could be very competitive doing that because you're running this one route and you maybe have some competitive advantage. So it's not, starting an airline is not as a, the barrier to entry is not as big as you might think. And maybe that's why the airlines tend to come and go. So when are you going to start raising the money? <laughs> yeah. Who wants to give me 10? I, I need more than that. I need 50 million. I, I own a, I want to, I want to at least lease a newer plane. Yeah. You'd, so. be, you'd be one of those guys that gets 50 million. And then there'd be this story about how they got 50 million and only 10 million went to the airline and the 40 million was CEO's salary. So. No, Dan, well, uh, Paul's plane, yeah. Dan, Paul's plane is going to be uh and I think Dan would probably remember this, that old movie. It's a mad, 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 mad world. He's going to yeah. be the, he's going to be the Ben blue character. <laughs> that old That's right. <laughs> Only Plan one passenger. The billboard. Yeah. Uh, it'll be one, one passenger and it'll be like, yeah, uh, and you're the watch, movie reference. We'll, you're watching we'll the cars on the freeway below. You drive faster than the plane. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's possible. It, it's a little straight line, so that's the important part. <laughs> All right, fine. Hey, belittle my point, but still, it stands. Anyway, let's uh, we can move off of that and talk about the hotel across from the PG Library. Then, uh, hundred rooms. I didn't realize it was going to be that big, but uh, oh yeah, this week that's going to be awesome. See again for tourism, Dan. But I'm sure you and Luke Coletti may be against it. I don't know. Tell me. No, well, <laughs> I can't speak for Luke, um, but for myself, I you know I was on the council when uh, we we decided that that building was no longer historic because it had gone through so many changes since it was a garage under when Holman's was in its heyday, uh, which was even before I, I was existed. And uh, that was a precursor to be, it being okayed and stuff. So I could have voted against it. I don't remember what the vote was. I don't think my vote mattered, but I'll tell you something. I had more people mad at me after that vote. Like I, you know, was some kind of heretic. I never okayed the hotel or anything, not responsible for that. And, and I don't know where I would have been on it. It's a lot of hotel for a very small place. And when they say, oh, well, we can use the parking lot behind the movie theater. Well, now, of course, they're talking about building on the parking lot behind the movie theater. So now where do all these people go? And of course, you know, one of us has a concern about the library, if not all of us, and good luck finding parking near the library once this starts going. The farmer's market, and here's going to be the biggest debacle of this, I believe. And I've been saying this to months, the people within the city, and nothing's been said or done about it, that they're going to start demolishing down there and building down there. And uh, the farmer's market is there. And it's going to be real yummy when you're down there getting food or shop, you know, shopping for fruits and vegetables. And there's dust and there's workers and there's clanging and there's no parking and everything else. It needed to be moved and it needed to be moved sometime where it is going to move to should have been decided some time ago rather than, oh, we got a problem now. What are we going to do? Yeah, and, what are they going to do with that and, farmer's market? Where would you move it? Put it inside well, the American you know, tin cannery because nobody's in there anyway? Yeah, well, that's a possibility, actually, but uh, or should be. Uh, I actually, because I'm the one that came up with the farmer's market and got all the laws changed so there could be one because it used to be you couldn't uh, um, sell outside of buildings in Pacific Grove up to a few years ago. And I got all those things changed, but then the mayor at that time dan court wanted to shut down all of lighthouse and turn it into a permanent farmer's market of course there was incredible blowback and what i had proposed was putting it in the parking lot between fandango and the old bank america building oh sure and uh it would have been perfect it would have been like five hours a week and two restaurants there that shall remain name uh, nameless uh, Luck, China, and uh, Fandango. Uh, we just thought that this was going to be the most onerous thing in the history of this world that for five hours a week, they wouldn't have full use of that parking lot. Instead of saying, hey, how many people might come to the farmer's market and then come in here 
and eat dinner or have a drink or whatever. And so they fought it and they got sympathy. And then you had the, the mayor that wanted it lighthouse. So then it was, let's put it on lighthouse and, but only on Monday. Well, and I said, I won't do that. The, uh, home, the business owners will be up in arms. You can't take away all their parking and everything else every Monday for five hours, all their parking, you know, and be there in, the, in front of their business, possibly selling food in front of a restaurant and without the investment or the leasehold. And, uh, and I said, I won't do it. So they went out and found uh, the people from Marina to do it, that promised them the moon and haven't delivered them the moon, if you look at their original contract. And, uh, and now they, of course, started out on Lighthouse. And within, I think, about eight weeks, uh, guess what? We can no longer have it on Lighthouse. It's affecting these businesses too much. So that's when they moved it down by the library. Now, if somebody had said to me, Dan, you can do it in front of the library, I would have done it in front of the library, but I wasn't going to kill all the businesses along uh, along Lighthouse Avenue. Well, how? what about, um, well, it is Tuesday afternoon, Dan, and or when, uh, actually, it's, I can't remember Monday. what day it is. Still oh, Monday. Monday. Tuesday's Monterey, it's Monday. Monday. Yeah. So they do it on Alvarado Street in Monterey, and do, yeah. it, it doesn't seem to affect the businesses there. I mean, it probably does affect, I mean, I'm sure if I talk to the owner of, um, you know, one of the restaurants on Alvarado street, um, like Rosine's or something, they, they may have actually affect their business for that time, but it's usually done in the afternoon from like two to five or something like that, or one to one to six or whatever it is. I don't, I don't know. Does it, how come it works on Alvarado, but couldn't work on lighthouse? I, I think the main reason is because uh, they got so the parking garages down there. Because if you go down there on a Tuesday, more often than not, you're in a parking garage. Right. We don't and, have parking garages in Pacific. And Road. you know the other thing too, uh, uh, Paul, is that the downtown Monterey, the Alvarado Street Farmers Market, just draws tons of people. So the the restaurants that are on the street and the other businesses. They still get a lot of looks. They get people in there that are going to the farmer's market, mm-hmm. whereas the PG farmer's market doesn't draw, compared to what Monterey draws, it it probably draws maybe one quarter, if that, the number of people. Oh, I don't know. even think that. Yeah. yeah, so it's so small. So you would be shutting down the main business street downtown for a really tiny amount of people, and I think that's why the businesses were... We're so much against it. Yeah. Well, maybe more people could show up, but I, I do. I like the. Uh, you know what I like? My role is the newcomer, the new guy in town, mm. even though I've been here five or six years, versus the older curmudgeons. Because <laughs> I, I still have trouble believing this. Because Dan, there they are. Let's get back to the hotel, because they are going to excavate a, a monster parking garage underneath it. Right? Will that be enough to hold all one hundred? Yeah. How many spaces is that parking garage going to be? I forget what it is, but it's not enough for all the employees and and if the guests all come in their cars. I mean, because you're talking employees and guests. I'm guessing here at the height, if the hotel is full, you're looking at like 130, 140 cars. And I don't see that happening, you know, and especially when you got the library there, you got, you know, restaurant across the street, you got the condo up above, you know, well, almost nobody lives there, but uh, you know, you, there's just two, the dynamics there, uh, consider a, if maybe 15 years ago, we were having parking problems ad infinitum down there and studies being done and we don't have enough parking and we need to build a garage and this and that. And now you're dropping hotels and condos and all this other stuff down there with no increase in parking outside of whatever they build under the hotel. So, right. but, but what when the we, hotel but it's- said their employees will park behind the, the movie theater. Well, uh, suppose this happens, and, and I figure this is probably how development happens. Suppose they build this hotel, maybe they build out the tin cannery, and then we have congestion and parking problems. Then growth happens, and we have to build a parking garage. Maybe we take a bond to build a parking garage, and then the entire character of the town has changed and everybody's mad. But I think that the town can maintain its character. It could still be a beautiful, thriving place you know, with these two hotels, and possibly, yeah, maybe there'll be new problems. And we'll have to address them then. But, uh, d- I mean, don't you think it's overall good for La Cachina's or, or Fandango's or, you know, the International House or whatever restaurants are down there, uh, the Quill? You know, it's good for all those businesses are going to benefit somewhat from, you know, the Monarch Pub are going to benefit. The Monarch Pub and, and Peppers and things are going to benefit from having 100 families in a hotel within walking distance. So those people are going to all eat somewhere in town. 
passion. Well, we're going to have a nice, theoretically, going to have a nice restaurant in the hotel. So that, that uh, nobody eats. Nobody eats at the restaurant hotel. Nobody eats at the the hotel restaurant. I, at least I never do. Well, well, you think they do? Well, maybe they do. But yeah, I guess the poor Yeah, that's because one... you're busy buying the little bottles of alcohol out of the little refrigerator <laughs> in the room. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, I go to see now I'm in Japan. You know what the beauty of Japan is? They don't have the open container laws that we are we are saddled with in America. So you can go to the seven elevens, which are beautiful here, or the family marts and buy your little bottles of alcohol or uh or cans of beer or whatever. So you just can't drink them while you're uh, walking. But uh yeah. Hmm. I digress. Yes. Yeah, most hotel restaurants in this area don't do very well. They're constantly changing their themes or their names because Fundamentally, people, they come to the area and they're going to Fisherman's Wharf, Cannery Row, Ocean Avenue, or they're going to eat like uh, on Lighthouse Avenue at some restaurant, but they're not going to eat in the hotel, except for the complimentary morning breakfast that they get. Ah, yes, yes. Well, do you you eat at the the, the hotel um, restaurant, Dan? When you're usually at a hotel, do you you eat at at the hotel restaurant? Um... No, because most of them don't have Taco Bells in them. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, Why? Why? I, get Why hotels, though, I almost always get a hotel that has, that reviews say, great breakfast buffet. Because when you, especially when you have a family and you're trying to, you know, save a little money here and there, mm-hmm. uh, and you think, geez, I take three kids out to breakfast and myself, and it's like 80 bucks. If I can get a free breakfast, you know, for a room that's costing me 125, you know, I, I'm it's like I'm only paying 45 bucks for my room. So, you know, I'm a I'm a big breakfast hotel guy, but I'm trying to think of the last time I ate dinner in a hotel, and I can't remember when. You know, so but that's interesting because you know, it's I have had real room service though, like especially if I've traveled the distance. And it's like, I do not want to leave this hotel right now. And I'll get room service, you know, which, again, isn't cheap. But, you know, I'm lazy sometimes like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so it it just depends. Depends on where I am, what's going on, what's nearby, all that well, stuff. Well, what, what I'm interested in, Dan, too, is like when these hotels get built, or at least the one across from the library, maybe in two years, if we're still doing this podcast, it'd be interesting to reevaluate how it has impacted the city. Uh, it, it'll be interesting. I, I, I'm kind of. Cu- it's a curious experience uh, experiment to see how this um, this hotel is going oh. to down, uh, impact the downtown. You know, kind of character of Pacific Grove. So uh, I'm g- going to do exactly what I did when the aquarium came in, which is I basically don't go in that area uh, on the weekends. Uh, some somewhat during the summer, and it's going to be the same now with the hotel. Um, I might walk down to the library with my kids. I won't won't be driving down there anytime soon. And again, depending on how it evolves, maybe it'll be fine. Maybe nobody will go there. You know, you you got no idea what what's going to shake out. But it's I look at it as it's just another one of those places that's got to be bottlenecked with um, with people, especially around check in time. Yeah. Who, who are we kidding, Dan? You don't yeah. go out because people scream at you regularly. You go to Bookworks and uh, people just throw hot coffee on you because you're I, so angry. I sat in angry. Bookworks this morning for two hours <laughs> and I had a nice gentleman come up because he'd overheard a conversation I was having and wanted to chat. And we chatted for about 15 or 20 minutes. And I had another person I uh, served on the planning commission come by with a big smile and shake my hand. And that All right, was fine. You are oh, beloved, Dan. Bother. Dan, I can't, you know in my, in my well, world, I'd like, to, I'd like to think of people yelling at you as you walk down the street. But you know what? You're, it you're doesn't actually kind happen. Of it's the funny <laughs> thing. I, it's the, the people that go after me are on social media. Because okay. then they don't have to face me. That's it. You know, yeah. they're on social media with their keyboard and they write nasty stuff. And nasty <laughs> stuff. People that have never met me, never talked to me, have no idea in the world what I'm about. And they'll get on social media and I'm the antichrist. If I say black, they say white. If I say white, they say black. You know, it's, you know, up, down. You know, it's just absolutely ridiculous because, uh, um, you know, especially over some of this DEI stuff that's been going on. Of course, I, uh, I'm a racist. 
Oh, you know your your bitter your bitter perspective is always welcome here. We love you, Dan. Uh, well, so you were- perspective because I get frustrated. I understand, and and, and Mark, I don't want to do either of you. I don't want to dominate this, but understand my perspective is basically I go through life with common sense and the Martin Luther King thing of. You know, it's the the content of your character, not the color of your skin. Don't care what your sexuality is or anything else. Don't just impose yourself on me and the rest of the world. Just stay in your lane, and we'll, everybody should be treating everybody with courte- common courtesy and niceness. And and when they don't, that's when the curmudgeon Dan comes out. You, if you you spent time with me, both of you have spent a little mm-hmm. time with. Outside of here, and and you know how I am. You know I can sit there and be the happiest, and I usually am the most happy-go-lucky person in the world. But when we start talking issues and ineptness of politicians and and city workers and everything else, there's city workers I will sit here and praise to the death uh, because they're wonderful. But you also know, maybe you don't know, and we should maybe talk about this a little bit, is we had, a, in the past week, we've had our community development director leave in Pacific Grove, mm-hmm. on the uh, leaves in about a week, which just after the housing element came in, and a week before the housing element has a public hearing, she leaves. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Anastasia. You know, it's like that's so professional, so good, so nice. Thank you for taking into account how this might affect the city of Pacific Grove. And then the city clerk has taken a leave uh, of three months. You know, city clerk. Um, uh, Sandra Kandel and Sandra's wonderful. I love Sandra. She's wonderful, but she's also our DEI coordinator. Oh boy! So in the DEI realm, it was the city manager and the city clerk, who was the DEI coordinator, were the two people that tried to have some control and direction of that group that are both now both not with them anymore so i wish sandra well she's you know hopefully this gets back to her i think she's absolutely wonderful and but anastasia whoever hired her this is her third job in in like a year and a half what did she say well why did she leave yeah she said why she left she she has another opportunity good okay yeah she's leaving hey um yeah bye-bye guys The uh, story about the hotel, I just want to circle back to that and finish off on this. But uh, this uh, uh, Kimpton company that's building this, or actually Huff Construction of Modesto is building this. Mm -hmm. So let's keep in mind that it's a company from Modesto building the hotel. And on their website, the statement they make, and this is out of the Pinecone article, it says here, the Kimpton Hotel, part of the IHG Hotels and Resorts Luxury and Lifestyle Collection, will be a true gem in Pacific Grove. With 95,000 square feet spread across four stories, it will offer 102 guest rooms and redefine luxury hospitality in the region. So now we have a company from Modesto telling us what luxury is on the Monterey Peninsula. I mean, what, what's the best hotel in Modesto? A Hampton Inn? Give me a break. Hey, you, hey, maybe, maybe the constru- I'm I come from a construction background. I do not want to uh, cast aspersions to this the good construction companies of Modesto, and maybe they're going to build a high end hotel. Well, hey, you and know, it's going to bring rich people to Pacific Grove to buy our wares. I know, so but that Paul, we can live, we'll live nice, Paul, yeah, that's yeah. A, you know, Am in I a, disillusioned. In, yes, in a, in a town where you have come on, in a town where you have the Clement on Cannery Road, mm-hmm. the Monterey Plaza. The Lodge at Pebble Beach, Spanish Bay Resort. These yeah. We have Quail Lodge. These guys are going to come in and say, ah, that's not luxury. Wait till you see wow. what, what we're going to build. We're from Modesto, an asp- and we're going to build making- luxury for you. Give me a break. <laughs> well, well, what are they supposed to say? That's an aspirational statement, yeah, which boy, I, hopefully they live to their ideals. <laughs> or could- they live to their ideals. What would you rather them say? We're going we're gonna to build the, the most fleabag hotel that will make, well, uh, you know, some of the could, hotels in Las Vegas. It, it could be an it could affordable be, hotel would yeah. be nice. It could be yeah. redefining luxury in the other direction too. Oh my God, I, it's an uphill <laughs> battle talking to you guys today. Well, think it. about those hotels <laughs> Mark just named off, and all all of them got ocean views, or they're on a golf course. I mean, if there's a more 
beautiful places than the Lodge or Spanish Bay or the you know the ocean view at the Clement. You know, go down the line. I mean, even the ATC, if the hotel ever gets built there, they'll you know, and this getting built could quite possibly kill that because uh, you can only have so many luxury hotels in a, in this small of an area. That look what Carmel's hotels did this last year and this summer they took a dive and they, uh, yeah and it's well, uh, their top tax was was in the tank and well to uh, your to your uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna um i'm gonna uh, push back a little bit dan can you how many hotels have a really great view of a carnegie library that's all i'm gonna say that's, i mean that, <laughs> that, that right there looking the down on the roof of a carnegie library so yeah well, so, i mean you know come on the upper floors <laughs> will have an ocean view but uh and jewel park is nothing i mean you know when those when the hippies are dancing on uh on uh sunday morning i mean fridays yeah they do it on sunday too i've seen them (laughs) i guess it's just friday all right well hey how about you guys tell me about the tin cannery a little bit well they're still waiting for coastal to decide whether or not they're within the parameters they need to be to get coastal approval and they also have a lawsuit this winding its way through court, as we all know, they take forever, and uh, that some citizens uh, filed against them that they didn't take into account the things they should have taken into account. And, um, uh, you, you know, I mean, the water's not, there's a lot of problems with it. Let's just put it that way. But meanwhile, of course, since since uh, it's not getting approved or, or and may never the for some uh, development people are doing absolutely no upkeep. Everybody's pretty much left that place. There's very few places left there, and um, uh, it, it, they're, it, they're uh, of course not going to put a dollar into the place no. because they make more money off of the parking, which they actually never should have had that parking, by the way, because the parking was supposed to be for the businesses, not for them to to rent out spaces at 20 or 30 bucks a day, but that's a whole other thing. And um, uh, so that building could just end up being dust someday. You know, it's it's just going to sit there and fall into more and more disrepair. And it's a crime because well, the, the CrossFit, everybody the always CrossFit talks about and- tax money. Think of how much tax money we're between there and Sunset Drive, where we have Pebble Beaches botting up all the buildings, three of which used to be in our top 10 tax people. You know, they bought them up and use them for storage and for doing um, reservations for the their properties. Well, yeah. the, the CrossFit, the CrossFit and Adventures by the Sea are doing wonderful over there. Um, or are, maybe are all those places on like month, a, uh, Dan or Paul? Do you know if those places are on month-to-month leases in the Tin Cannery? Oh yeah, they are. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I'm sure they I would wanna, give them like sixty days or something. They probably have to, but yeah, nobody's there on a long-term lease anymore. And you know, the one topic. that. The one that left their uh, first awakenings and went up to where uh, Coco's used to be, talking about quite possibly the most successful, you know, grossing restaurant in the Monterey Peninsula. Hey, I mean, but- and it's good. <laughs> very, very and, good. And Pacific Grove's loss was Monterey's gain because the restaurant is 300 David Avenue, Monterey. It's in Monterey. The parking lot's in Pacific Grove. But <laughs> the restaurant itself yeah. is, in, is in Monterey, so... The tax dollars that were generated by that restaurant in Pacific Grove went over to Monterey. Well, I forgot exactly how it is, but because the city line kind of goes through there, Andronico's and Carl's Jr., years ago they divided that. Well, you get the tax from here, we get the tax from there. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's like, you know, the whole thing uh, they said years ago, uh, the Irish and the uh, People from the Mideast had a choice as to what they want, wanted, and the Irish said, well, we don't want all that sand. Give us the rocks, you know. So, right. uh, and, the, the, and we were the Irish in this case. I'm yeah. sure we got 
had the end of the stick on that well, division. I, yeah, on that particular property where the grocery store and the restaurant is, so Carl's Jr.'s in Monterey, and the store is listed as a Monterey address, but a portion of the store is in Pacific Grove, and the, the apocryphal tale, the old story about back in the days when PG was a dry town, and that grocery store has existed on it. There's been a grocery store, Paul, on that site for decades. And back when Pacific Grove was dry, before 1970, uh, all the alcohol was on the Monterey side of the store, and all of the check stands were on the Monterey side of the store so that you weren't purchasing alcohol in Pacific Grove. I love that. Yeah. That's, hey, and, so and can you, Those check oh, yeah. stands, by the way, those check stands, if you remember, all the way up through the days that it was Knob Hill— they never changed the configuration of the check stands in the store. So all the way up into the 2000s, when it was still a Knob Hill store, the check stands were on the Monterey side of the store. When they did the big remodel and it became Andronico's, now they've got check stands all the way over through the Pacific Grove side as well. That, it was, so how do they do city tax for that? Does some of it go to Monterey? Yeah, they, divide, they divided it up and i forget how you know what what goes where but like we probably got carl's jr monterey probably has first awakenings and andronicles <laughs> somebody needs to ask in fact i'll ask i next week we'll have the answer to this yeah all right you know one, well, one other thing one last we, thing because i got you, i got to go pretty soon yeah uh, let Mark, me throw i'll turn it over to you too okay i'll turn it over to you too after i go but uh yeah uh, next week, you'll have the answer to that. Last topic I want to talk about is uh, they cleared, cleared the uh, homeless encampment coming on to the uh, Sand City exit oh. uh, from the north. So did you guys read about that? Or I did. Uh, I saw that. that. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I think that's a move towards more move towards the light. Not, I, I don't know where those people went, but um, but I'm excited about uh, that because that's, that's over by another quasi-luxury hotel, the Tides. So, yes. And you were about to say something. Go ahead, Mark. Oh, I was just going to say that, that this issue of pieces of like commercial property, you know, being in multiple cities. Um, uh, another interesting example is out in uh, Delray Oaks, Canyon Delray, where the big Safeway store is. Most of the store is in Delray Oaks. Part of the parking lot is in Monterey, and there's a, there's a sliver of the parking. Recording stopped. Oops. I'm still recording, oh, no, no, so don't was, worry about it. No, no, that was mine. That was okay. mine. That was not yours. Yeah. Okay. So, in a, in a sliver of the parking lot, up in the corner, right uh, where Canyon Del Rey and Fremont meet, is actually in Seaside. And I don't know if you guys remember, um, and, and Dan probably remembers him. Do you remember Smoking Jim, the barbecue guy? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, he used to oftentimes set up his barbecue grill uh, in that parking lot, and he was always up in that that corner of the lot that put him in seaside. And I remember talking to him about it one time and I said, why do you always set up here? And he said, because it's in seaside and I got friends that work for the city and they don't bother me here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Mark and Dan, I'm going to turn it over to you too. So uh, Mark, you've been made the host and uh, signing off uh, sayonara from the uh, land of the rising sun. I'll, uh, Catch you guys next week. All right. Thank you very much, Paul. And keep it, keep going as long as you want. Do an hour and a half, please, guys. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait to listen. All right. Talk to Alrighty. you. Alrighty. Okay. Well, as long as he doesn't disconnect the, um, uh, what is it, the it Zoom shouldn't. feed, we should be okay. It shouldn't, but okay. uh, yeah, text me if it does. All righty. Well, Dan, uh, I know you wanted to mention something about uh, this issue at the Down School in Pacific Grove uh, that, that uh, reared its ugly head this week. Yeah, um, it's funny because I just I literally just now got an email alert from somebody that sent it to me. Back when I had the Pacific Grove Press, uh, despite what people think, we uh, were open to anybody and everybody writing stuff, you know, as long as it wasn't, you know, libelous, defamatory or anything else. One of the people we had write for us back at that time was... Uh, a woman, I forget what her first name is. I think it's Valerie, but uh, her last name's Anthony. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had three kids and she was going to Robert Down School and she started up a Robert Down Diversity Committee. And she spent about a half a page in the paper writing all about this this committee that she had formed. And they met after school. And, and I'd met her a few times. She had a, a, a son that was in my daughter's class a couple of years. And and uh, seemed like a very pleasant person. And then one day, the, um, uh, my daughter tells me that her son, and she had three boys, I think twins and then this other boy, 
that uh, they they he'd left school. Like, oh, that's too bad. He seemed like such a good kid because I'd go down there and volunteer and stuff all the time. Well, this past week, all of a sudden, the NAACP, the local NAACP, I guess uh, uh, they were quiet for too long, decided they were going to take up Miss Anthony's cause. Because it seems, according to Miss Anthony, that her three children at Robert Down School, even though she was there all the time and had this diversity committee that she formed in the school letter due and she was the head of, all of a sudden, it's like the principal did not do anything about complaints I made about things teachers were doing and about what was being said to my kids. And, you know, this is just horrible and this is terrible and something needs to be done. And according to the original story in uh, the, the NAACP had a lot to do with and that the Herald wrote, Molly Gibbs of the Herald, was that she had filed the lawsuit. Well, she hasn't filed the lawsuit. And she admitted that yesterday. So, uh, but what she had done was made a formal complaint, I guess, and spent money on an investigator. You know, the school district hired somebody outside the school district to investigate it. And they investigated it probably, I'm guessing, knowing about other investigations, probably about $20,000, $30,000 it cost. And they came back and said, there's no there there. So instead of appealing that, which is an option given when they come up with something like that, Miss Anthony, who now has moved to Texas, decided that she was going to go to the NAACP and have them have a press conference on the steps of Robert Down School and address what has been called the long history of racism and equal inequality toward black people in Pacific Grove's school district. Now, I'm 68 years old. I grew up in Pacific Grove. My mother grew up in Pacific Grove. My uncles grew up in Pacific Grove. My grandparents grew up in, or didn't grow up, but lived in Pacific Grove. I, my kids have gone to Pacific Grove schools now for what, 10 years or so. I, in all that time, have not heard of a racial thing outside of the, this thing that happened at the high school a couple years ago. I have not heard of a single racial incident. Now, again, I'm not in those circles. I'm not a person of color. But my mother was a grammar school secretary for, what, 30-some years? You know, I've got kids in there now. I spent 13 years going through Pacific Grove schools. I live within a block of two schools. I never hear anything, never see anything. I'm not saying nothing happened. I just find it really strange that all of a sudden this thing's being churned up and people, again, the weekly just sent out a thing an hour or so ago about, oh, the racism in Pacific Grove, something has to get done about this. Okay, so we have an investigator that said they didn't find out anything, but the the weekly is saying, oh, that investigator was wrong. Well, then we need to find an investigator who's going to find something, right? Or yeah. Get, yeah, get an but, investigator to investigate the investigator. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, when when there was an investigator that did something with the, the city manager in a complaint against the city council person, and they found that the, there was... The, in the, the investigator's opinion that the city council member had done something, all of a sudden they believed that investigator. They didn't say, well, maybe this investigator is not, not correct here. In fact, they had a story a couple weeks ago uh, that was totally wrong. They had one of those anonymous sources told us, which was the fulcrum of their whole story. An anonymous story, person told us, which they do all the time with this stuff, and uh, it was, I know for a fact, it was entirely wrong. So don't believe anything you read in the weekly. If they say, you know, white, odds are it's green. If it went up, it probably went down. Anybody that uses the weekly as their source of news on the peninsula, and I'm not saying everything because they've actually had a couple good stories, you know, in the past 10 years, but by and large, they're advocates. Yes. They're they, they are not reporters, yeah. you know, and it's absolutely ridiculous what their circulation is and that they're always out there with hand, hat in hand, you know, subscribe to us, give us money, do this for us, do that for us. 
you know, it's it, it's mind blowing how at least when I wrote stuff like that, I'd write it under in a, my column that we all know rambled on for pages, but it would be under you know under editorial kind of thing. With them, it's this is how they covered the news, right? You know, and this, the bad thing is, this is what news has become. But to tie up this story, so now everybody, of course, is gonna, I'm sure there's going to be a policy of cultural training. In fact, the principal's gone for the next few days. We got to notice because he's going to cultural training, you know, and the odds that he doesn't have a concept of what's going in his school, and he certainly, I didn't, you know, know him fairly well. Uh, is certainly not a person I would worry about, uh, you know, ignoring mm. problems at school concerning race and color. So anybody that tells you the Pacific Grove school system has a problem with the race, it, th- trust me, there's other problems that are a lot bigger than that that well, affect all the kids. Yeah. The principal's being sent to a re-education program. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and that's I, the bottom line with this, yeah. you know, is this stuff comes up and somebody ends up making a bunch of money uh, coming in and telling us all what we do wrong in their eyes, in their perspective, having never spent time in Pacific Grove, not knowing for sure whether the story is true. And again, an investigator found that there was there wasn't any there there. And my point of bringing up the PG press was she had a half a page to write something about it. She had a forum in this group. She had started at Robert Down. There is not a word about PG racism and how it affected her kids in there. And she said it had been, uh, now she's saying it had been going on for a long time before she wrote this, before she started this group. And I never heard squat out of that. Yeah. So, and she didn't write it. And we wrote, we printed things as people wrote it. We didn't edit it. And, you know, as, as you could tell by some of my stuff, but uh, it, it's just that everybody's running with this story every time. It's like Tawana Brawley, you know. Oh, Let's yeah, just, I remember that story. And, it was you know, fake. go with it if somebody has a story and we're just going to run with it no matter how it affects. And this affects the whole community because now it's going to be another one of those divides. There's going to be the people that believe the woman just you know face value without looking into it whatsoever and she is not making herself available to be interviewed or to have questions asked of her Hmm. and i think that's kind of important yeah well dan there are two stories this week published in separate publications about this particular alleged set of incidences now what i'd advise people to do is get a copy of the weekly read pam marino's column about it or her story, and pick up a copy of the Carmel Pinecone, and on the front page below the fold in the right-hand corner, Kelly Nix has written about the very same topic. Read the two stories, compare them side by side, and you will, you will see the evident bias in the story that is in the, um, in the Monterey County Weekly. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And, and, it's, but, and every story is like that that the two of them cover. Right. That you have Kelly Nix, who basically, here's the facts. And that's what I always try to do. Here's the facts. You're smart enough to draw your own conclusion. But with the weekly, they tell you what you should think. And their opinion is in almost every story that a couple people there write. I'm not saying all of them, but a couple people there write stories that are more editorials than they are anything else. Yep. Well, and here's just, you know, one thought I, I have. This comes to mind ever so often in when I read the Monterey County Weekly. I pick it up every week to see what they're up to. But um, they're very big on advocating for the rights of uh, workers, as they like to say. Uh, and, and they're very supportive of uh, work stoppages and strikes and, and things like that and being paid living wages, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if that's the case... How come Bradley doesn't let his reporters join the guild? Yeah. <laughs> funny that, huh? <laughs> it's funny that way, isn't it? You know, I mean, for yeah. a newspaper that talks a lot about workers' rights, uh, for some reason it's a non-union publication. So I'll just leave that right there. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny, but that that is them. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, you know, the whole hypocrisy that, 
uh, in the world in general. You know, I tell people this is, and I bring my kids up. I said, if I ever see arrogance or hypocrisy in the way you run your lives, in the way you act, uh, in what you find acceptable, uh, I'm going to have a problem with it. You know, and uh, and I'm that way in general. You know, if you you're hypocritical, if you lie, you know, it's like people that I have political differences with, and there are many. Uh, I'm kind of I feel I'm down the middle of the line. I will listen to anybody and everybody. But when you stop listening to common sense, when you start just spewing uh, a political line that aligns with your party or whatever, for instance, when there's a, an, uh, a vote in the say in the House or the Senate and it's always down party lines. More often than not, it's down party lines. How is that that not one Democrat thinks like the Republicans ever and not one Republican ever thinks like the Democrats? You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to get in trouble with my party instead of doing the what's the right thing for this nation as a whole. And, uh, you know, outside of once in a while, you get, you know, wishy-washy Joe Manchin or, or Karen, uh, is it Karen Cinema, the one from uh, Arizona, who now is, I think, an independent. Yeah, Kristen Cinema. Yeah, Kristen, thank you. That that will be a little bit different. But, and, you know, everybody will go nuts because how did you not stay with your party? You know, I years ago, I was a Republican, registered Republican, and I um, I was on the Republican Central Committee. And after like three meetings, I resigned because they were willing to throw money and energy and walkers and everything else behind uh, candidates who uh, who were on the city council of Pacific Grove that were absolutely horrible, horrible. But it was merely because they were Republicans. And I said, that's it. And anybody that read my paper would see me going up to the election that would read that I wrote time and time again that don't vote for somebody because you get a postcard from the Democratic Central Committee saying these are the Democrats to vote for. Do your own homework. Do your reading. Call up or email the people that are running for office and ask them where they're at on the on the issues that concern you. Don't read social media right. and something some wacko is writing on there that never gets out from behind their computer screen, never goes to a meeting, you know, has an agenda and do your own homework, you know, because that's how we keep getting these clowns elected that, that are ruining this, you know, this County, this state, this country, and they just circulate through in California, even with term limits, these people just circulate through. Well, that's a good point. And when you were talking about, you know, just the blind endorsement of, well, we were going to endorse so-and-so because, you know, they're a member of the party and the damage that they end up doing. I remember years ago um, when, uh, when Jeff Taylor was like the perennial Republican candidate, I think right. he ran for like, like four times he ran for uh, Congress and, I remember one of the first times he was running, we were both appearing together at um, a Republican, the Carmel Republican Ladies uh, um, monthly meeting. And I was working Mm -hmm. for the news talk station at the time. And so they invited me to come in and talk about radio. And uh, so I had the first part of the program and Jeff had the second part of the program. And uh, so I was sitting there, uh, you know, after I did my thing and he came up and was talking about his campaign and he was talking about things that we need in the schools. And he said the first thing he wanted to do when he got to Congress was to work on bringing back prayer in the school. And he made the comment. He said, we just have to do something about this ridiculous separation of church and state. And <laughs> even, hey, even these blue haired Republican ladies who are about, most of them are about as far right as you can get. Okay, right. they're beautiful people. You know, I know so many of them. They even were aghast. They even shook their heads like, oh my God, what, why is this guy our candidate? And, yeah. you know, the Central Committee of the Party endorsed him, and they should have never given the guy the endorsement. I mean, he was a nice guy and everything like that, but he was wholly unsuited. Uh, to to run for office, or at least to to be um, endorsed, you know, by by the um, the central committee as the candidate, they should not have issued 
an endorsement. If he was the only guy that was going to run, they, they should have left the endorsement off. But, you know, they just, they do that, and Democrats do that with a lot of really bad candidates. And I think yep. that the, the body politic is not served very well by that. No, and, and the thing that drives me crazy about, the let's just say Democrats, but I'm sure the Republicans do the same thing, and I'm an independent now, have been for years, and um, the, the Democratic Party, when they're doing their interviews as to who they're going to endorse, I have asked them, I asked every year, every election that I run, have run in, I say, could I come and talk to your, your party? Now, the Green Party endorsed me one time. You know, I'm not a Green Party guy, but uh, Democrat Party refused to even allow me to talk to their central committee. And it wouldn't matter if they endorse me or not, at least have the courtesy of talking to me and maybe you'll like me. And you know what? If you endorse me, maybe then I'd say, you know what? These guys are okay because they stepped out and endorsed me and I'd rather be part of them than the other guys, even though I'd be, you know, over on one side of the Democrat Party. But still, I, you know, there's a lot of people that are over on one side of the Democrat Party. You know, so it's at some point in time, you know, we've become this two party system. I've always said we should have the common sense party. And somebody uh, told me that with, uh, a couple of years ago, somebody actually started, you know, like registered the common sense party that you do things by common sense, not that, oh, you're a Republican. So you believe this and that the other thing. It's like the Republicans, you know, it amazes me how many Republicans don't want us in Ukraine and how many Democrats do. You know, it's like, you know, okay, or why is this? Shouldn't we have some discussion why why we're in there and why we're spending that much money? And again, as I've said, since I was in my teen years and, and Vietnam was going on, I said, what's the end game? What's the end game in Afghanistan? What Anywhere we've been involved, what's the end game and, and why are we there? And don't I don't want to hear the Democrat line. You know, people forget, you know, Kennedy was about to get us out of Vietnam was the word. And then he got his head blown off, which, by the way, we still have not gotten all the stuff released uh, that was supposed to have been released after 50 years. And uh, each president, including Trump, has put it off onto the next president. And now uh, Biden's put it off again. So there's something in there. And um, I'm not going to be a conspiracy guy right now because I don't know what. But I think we all deserve to see what it is. And if it was some of our own people, we need to know that. If it was Cubans, we need to know that. It wasn't just me, Harvey Oswald. You know, yeah. so yeah, the thing just came out. I don't know if you've seen it where uh, one of the Secret Service guys that was right behind Kennedy when he got shot in the hospital found found the perfect bullet that's the magic bullet that they said was on Connolly's gurney. And he says, no, it was on Kennedy's gurney. I put it on Connolly's, you know, and there's a whole story out there now about it. So uh, that kind of dispels the whole uh, theory. So... You know, it's like UFOs. You know, in my lifetime, I'd really like to know. You know, <laughs> I I don't think people are going to freak out. I don't think they, you know, people are going to be shooting themselves and everything else because there's aliens. You know, let you know, let's just have transparency in government. Right. Well, I think if there, are, you know, and there certainly are some hidden facts about that assassination that have never been released. And I, I really believe that what it's going to take is um, more passage of time to the point where everybody who was alive in 1963 yeah. has passed yeah. from the, I'm even talking about kids like, like myself who was four years old when it happened. When we're all, right. when we've all shuffled off this mortal coil and we're like a hundred years removed from the assassination, maybe at that point, you know, whomever's in charge of the country is going to say, well, you know, that's ancient history. Let everybody know what happened. You know, when it, I, you know here's, the, here's the thing. When, when there's nobody who's got a dog in the fight, has anything left to gain or lose from releasing the information, then it'll be released. You know, we yeah, know, but you know, yeah, and and I'm just saying that's how that, I'm just saying that's how it's going to happen. I'm not saying that's yeah. right, but that's just what's going to happen. Right. 
And Trump was such a loose cannon. I thought he was going to be the guy that released it, but he shuffled it off. I don't know if he was thinking he was going to get elected again, so he'd be around to do it. But he didn't do it, and and uh, and Biden hasn't done it, and, mm-hmm. and basically said he's not going to do it. So, uh, like you say, my guess is there's people alive still that were involved in it. But if they should, you know, it's like they're still going after people from uh, the concentration camps. <laughs> it's like I read a thing the other day. It was like they're trying to get them all before they're they're dead, you know. Right. And because you you should never be able to walk away from like the the um, kid from uh, that '70s show, which I never watched, but just got convicted of of those two rapes that happened twenty years ago, and now is going to you know has been sentenced to 30 years in prison. And it's like, well, you know, let's, if we're going to go after that, let's go after all of it. You know, if you're not going to have a statute of limitations, don't have a statute of limitations. Now, I would just like people that are doing crimes here and now to get nailed, you know, and spend some time in jail and maybe they'll stop. Uh, But, uh, you know, probably isn't going to happen with the people we have in power. And that's another thing people need to start thinking about, which is, who is it that's allowing this stuff to happen? Right. And you listen to, you know, whether they be sheriffs, whether they be assembly people, heads of, uh, you know, uh, committees, whatever, you know, whoever it is that is acting like this, this behavior is, is warranted, needs to go to another country, needs to you know, look at themselves in the mirror, because it's always, well, now I got carjacked, now that I was on the receiving end of this crime, yeah, we should have more police. Forget the defund the police thing I was saying before. You know, it's like, you know, at some point in time, use common sense, you know, it's, and, and don't, people need to, again, not to get on a soapbox here, but stop the, uh thing of lumping people together all white people aren't white supremacists all democrats aren't bad all catholics aren't you know child molesters you know go down the line quit bunching people together because it's something a person did and that's what you know calling back to uh robert down if some kid said something or did something that's the 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 person that needs to be uh uh talked to Right. Hey, one one thing I want to add to this, and then we need to wrap it up, is what you're getting at, what you're talking about is like, you know, who's who's allowing these things? Who's basically pulling the strings behind the scenes? And what you're talking about is how political power at high levels works in America. And recently, uh-huh. I've been, you know, looking at a couple books, going back through them, listening to author interviews. There's a... Um, a biographer named Robert Caro. Are you familiar with him? No. So Caro, <clears throat> his quest. Now he's in his mid eighties, but yeah, since yeah. the since the early nineteen seventies, he's been studying and writing about political power and how power is used. And he's written a number of bestsellers. He's run. He's won Pulitzer prizes for them. Um, his uh, first great book was called The Power Broker, and it's a story of a man who, at his, at his zenith of power, his apex, he was the second most powerful man in the country to the president, and that's a man named Robert Moses, who was hmm. never elected to public office. He was a parks commissioner in New York, New York <laughs> City, but he ran all of these government agencies— he was a great he was a lawyer, he was a bill creator. He knew how to write laws and enabling legislation. And he he created all these agencies and figured out how to make himself the simultaneous director of a dozen agencies at once. And the guy never did it for making money for himself. He loved power. And mm-hmm. this is the guy who was responsible for the building of the uh, uh, Cross Bronx, what do they call it? The BQE, the Bronx Queens Expressway, the um, Verrazano Narrows Bridge, I mean, uh, Jones Beach. Every Mm -hmm. gigantic public works project, even dams in upstate New York that sent water to New York City and electricity 
Robert Moses was behind that. And he did it all with political power and unelected. And Bob Cairo uh, writes about that. And then his other work is a four-volume series about Lyndon B. Johnson mm-hmm. and Johnson's rise to power and how he got power and how he used power. And it's really remarkable because these books go into very deep detail about the means of, of the use of power in the political process. And it's really a primer as to how it was done, and especially at a very high level. Um, and, and it's uh, it's worth those books are, are worth reading. In fact, yeah, the, the Moses book is required reading for anybody who's going to go into urban planning. Because mm-hmm. yeah, just it, anyway, we should probably wrap it up here. We've been at it for about an hour. And um, it's what's the plan. And it's with Paul and Mark and Dan and we get together every week and talk about some of the issues of the day around Pacific Grove and the peninsula. And don't know that we we solve anything, but we just try and shed a little light and, uh, and I guess, get whatever's on our chest off. Right, Dan? Yeah, that's, it's, this is my therapy. You know, I can't afford a therapist, so I just come here. The <laughs> cheap form of therapy, so there you go. All right, so hey, be sure to join us again next time. We're going to get this posted up on the website. What's the plan, Monterey.com. And Dan, thank you very much, and thanks to Paul. Thank you, Mark. And we'll talk to everybody next time. Thanks for listening.